Hey, everybody, Tony coming to you with Moments with Max. Yep, you heard me right. Moments with Max Matern. Today, we're going to be talking about service advisors. So service advisor edition. We're going to be talking about pay plans, what you should be looking for when you hire them, the biggest misconceptions, how we can help them, things that you should be doing today with them. Uh, we get into deep dive with service advisors with Max Return. Stay tuned. We're going to do our best to get new thinking out there. There's going to be discussions centered around growth and new thinking. That's where those great ideas come from, exploring them together. Nuggets that you can go back and put into your dealership that'll help you make more money. This is GarageCast. Welcome to GarageCast. Sam, I'm in a I'm in a real mellow mood. I hear that. You got your late night DJ got, voice going. Yeah, no, man. We got we got moments with Max. Moments with Max. <laughs> this is this is my voice. That I with Max do. Like, I feel like we should all put on a bathrobe and grab a cigar <laughs> and a ukulele. Get I, ready. For I'm it. uncomfortable. I Max, are you uncomfortable? I am uncomfortable. No, look at I, Max is I, getting I was, happy. He's he's yeah, grabbing was, his getting comfortable actually what <laughs> what is lay you back in the lounge yeah let me lay, lay back and turn around and grab that guitar right behind him and start <laughs> grab a clove a cigarette on. and let's let's talk man oh my so, god no, we've anyway. already derailed the podcast well everybody knows the guest now but um you know dancer was you were telling me a pretty funny story recently and and i we, we got to hear this dude so you, you just wrapped up some bicycle work in in uh the carolinas what, why don't you give us an idea what happened yeah, I, <laughs> I'm out there visiting James Good and his uh, bicycle shop, Spirited Cyclist and First Flight, something I do every year with these guys. James is the guy that I go take these week-long retreats out and, you know, riding our bicycles through the woods on, we should be on dirt bikes and instead we're on bicycles and everybody's laughing at us because we're falling and crashing and bleeding and all that. It's a good time, really good time. But I'm there doing training and he said, hey, there's an event going on on the first night you're here. Do you want to go? we could go do it. And I said, what kind of event? He said, it's like a little crit bike race. It's a little circuit, you know, it's a 1.2 mile loop in a business area, business complex. And you know, you're going to be shoulder to shoulder and we're going to be drafting off each other and it's going to be get after it. And I'm like, yeah, you got a bike for me. He's like, I got a bike. So I brought my gear, get on the bike, get it sized up. We're already had six people from his, uh, from his group with us. We all rode out there from his bike shop and then, uh, the sun's going down, right? So we're all got lights on. So we're going to, it's going to be in dusk, this whole thing going down. And everybody's taking, everybody's warming up, right? They're going around this little, little one or one and a half mile loop, get warmed up. And I realize that my left foot will not click into the pedal. I don't know why I'm not clicking into the pedal. It is completely free. And I just like, I'm, I'm tightening the tension, whatever. Turns out I broke the front tip of my cleat uh, somehow in, in travel. So I have no way to clip into the pedal, which if you guys don't know, I know you guys know, but for the listener, if you stand up on the pedals like you're racing, you can come flying out of that pedal very fast. And I'm like, it'll be fine. Everything's fine. No need to worry about any of this, right? So <laughs> so then they're coming around on the loop, right? And we're sitting on the side. You guys ready? We're just going to join in on the loop. There's like two more practice laps and we're going to get going. So they're coming full speed up this hill. And we're like, let's go. Let's go. And I'm like pushing the pedals down. And then I go to stand up. I totally forgot about it. And I come out of the pedal. And so my left foot is completely hanging out and the bike immediately zips to the right as they're coming 
right at me, my chain drops in the very same moment. So there's no way for propulsion. I can't break because I'm in the middle of this thing. And every one of those 40 some racers, they all had, as I'm sure you can guess, the most choice words for me as they went by. And all I could think about was the stereotype of the road bike cyclist. And every bit of it was solidified in that one second for me as I'm trying not to take out 20 riders in one fell glance. So I never made the start line is the end of that story. And I felt pretty bad about, you know, welcome to Charlotte. That was my experience of riding in Charlotte. Figured you'd get a kick out of it. Peanut butter porters for Sam at that moment, I'm sure. Yeah. Peanut butter porters. Hell, bourbon barrel stout, buddy. I wasn't stopping at peanut butter porters. Yeah. All right. Well, I do know that feeling, too. Slipping out of pedals, man. And you're either smashing your anatomy or you're doing a face plant or, yeah, I haven't done it in a whole or all uh, things at one time. Yeah. So (sighs) Maximus. All right. Maximus, listen, you Mm -hmm. know, because we know that you listen to the podcast and you got you got some super strong opinions about fixed operations, parts, accessories and service. And so, you know, we're we're on a quest. This company is on a quest to make sure fixed operations gets the love uh, that it needs. And so thank you for taking some time out of all the things that you do. And I know there's some, I don't know, are you, are you actually taking a break out of the 11 and a half months of partying at New Orleans? What, what's today? <laughs> Motor Girl did just end. So like we're still in the hangover period. It's been a week now. Which means you only party from noon till midnight. <laughs> I have to keep my alcohol blood level right. That's yep. that's why we're that's why we're recording at uh, almost three p.m. as opposed to our normal you know six and seven a.m. recording. Stony, we didn't pick yeah. this time. Some other just waking up, pick. man. Yeah, of course. Well, <laughs> well, obviously, you know, we're, we're going to be talking service with you. We're not going to pigeonhole you, but you have a you have a tremendous passion for service, and and mm. we wanted to talk about service writers with you. And I say service writers because, you know, right out of the get-go, uh, you know, you're going to uh, insert that opinion and you you have some really cool <laughs> stuff to talk about. So let's, let's just start with it. Right. So what's the greatest <laughs> misunderstanding about the service writer, Max? Well, I, I like that you queue it up with like, clearly you have yeah. a very strong opinion. You're going to shove down my throat. No, no, uh, no, no I true. don't. I don't have a strong opinion. I love <laughs> your opinion on this is good. <laughs> Uh, so I, I honestly really, truly think that one of the biggest misunderstandings about that role is the name of the role. We call them a writer, which just implies that yeah. all they do is write down whatever the customer comes in and says, like they're some clerk. Um, so I don't call them a writer. I prefer to call them an advisor because that's exactly what they do. They advise customers on stuff. I, Actually, I so love it. One analogy... I like to use is uh, is think of like a like a financial advisor. Like if you go to your financial advisor, that person understands the entire landscape of how you could save money or make money or you know grow it, all that kind of stuff. And they know all the moving pieces, all the opportunities, and most importantly, they know the client. They know what that client needs, and they know what that client wants to get to. And based on all that information. They give the absolute best advice that they can give. And that's what, what advisors do in that exact same thing. They have to know all these moving pieces of the entire service department and even the whole dealership to say, I think this is your best option. And when we look at advisors and don't look at them as just kind of clerks, just order takers, it changes the perspective of why you even work there. For everybody out there listening, you know, we sent Max these questions uh, for him to look at. And we advise everybody 
See, advise. I can change really quickly. Mm. We advise everybody, do not write out your answers because, you know, we don't want you to, we don't want you to like have to frame something and try and remember it. Well, before I could even get to Max, you know, he's, he's completely doing his homework and whatnot, but he crossed out every single other service writer and turned it to advisor. And it's funny, Max, because we sit there in, in the sales department, we sit in the parts department, motor clothes and Harley in the pro shop. And we're really trying to tell the ownership and general managers and managers, you guys are salespeople, no matter where you work. And it's true. If you're calling that employee a service writer, you're, you could be, I agree, you're pigeonholing them. They, they are an advisor and they are taking you nose to tail and they should be able to explain the entire process and do so much more. So no, I think it's awesome that you say that. All right, hang on, because I'm going to be the guy that rebukes this here. Um, I'm going to throw a wrench right out of the gate in question one in your system here. Because when we talk about, for years, we've talked about service, and I don't care what you call them, advisors, writers, awesome people, call them whatever the hell you want. But we know that some of the worst service advisors are former technicians because they can't stop the curbside diagnostic. They can't stop vomiting out the answer because, to your point, they know everything inside the building. In fact, conversely, we say hire a smiling face, a really nice person who could say, hey, I don't know any of that information, but you know who does? Mark, our lead tech, and we're going to put it on its lift. We're going to get a one-hour inspect and report. We're going to show you everything that needs to be done to this thing. In other words, pleading ignorance that I don't know all the answers. I'm just a friendly face, and we're going to make sure you're in the right hands. We're going to put you with the number one surgeon back there. How does that fit with what we're saying now that the service advisor needs to know everything about the whole process and everything to advise me what's wrong with my machine? Well, I mean, service advisors are, they're like project managers. They need to know all the pieces that are going on. They need to know who to talk to and get stuff done. But I don't, they don't need to know how to fix the problem. Like when you go to the doctor and you get checked in with the doctor, you're not asking them like, hey, what's this bump? Like that, that's not the person you talk to. They're going to get you to the right person. And that's the friendly face that gets all the scheduling taken care of. And they're your point of contact. You know, it's. That was my point. You just stole my question and made it into a statement and answered my question with a statement. <laughs> So I was correct. I heard, hopefully you heard that, Tony. I was correct there. So Max, <laughs> I actually, what, what I'm hearing is, is I, I believe is Max is not suggesting that we're advising the customer of, of the diagnosis on the drive. It's mm. somebody that's going to take that information in and keep the customer informed, the advised the entire time. It's it's knowing what's happening. It's communicating correctly. It's understanding how to make the call the whole nine yards. That That's how I heard it. Con continuing a good customer experience. <laughs> totally. I'm glad I could clarify that for all of our listeners. All right. Number two, <laughs> Max, tell me what is something that right now, here we are in early 2023, what is something that a service advisor needs to be doing right now that they probably aren't or they may not be doing? I think that... The primary thing is just take time. Um, advisors are under the gun a lot. They have a lot of stuff going on. They need to take the time to build rapport with the customer. And that's something that's really hard to do in that role. Like, just think of anybody else you take advice from, you know, advice about bikes or about what clothes to wear or whatever you're, you ask somebody for. You ask them that and you trust them because you're close to them. Like, you've built trust over time. And that building trust over time is where the advisor should start the relationship with that customer. Otherwise, if we didn't start with good experience and good trust, that, that customer is never going to see the potential solution or, hey, here's the diag problem. They're never going to see that as like, 
are they really doing this in my best interest? So I think, you know, it, it kind of goes back. If you think about the sales process, how we draw that in that upside down triangle, and there's like the big space at the top or relationship right there, greet. Like, we don't even do that as an advisor. We skip right over that one piece. So I think taking time to say, yes, we really do need to get to know the customer is, is number one for being a good advisor. What happens when the line is three deep and you're telling me we need to take time and spend time and greet with customers? You know, that's a good question. But I think that comes down to if your lines are three deep, then maybe you don't have enough people to help. Maybe there's some other processes we can work on. Maybe you should be scheduling better. I mean, the answer doesn't need to be rush through and give the customer a bad experience. The answer should be we have so much business. How do we still give a good experience with this business? I think, you know, and and Sam was obviously being hypercritical like a dealer will come out after, after you, you question them on, on their service. Oh, well, hold on. Wait, wait, it's, it's always, it's always like, Hey man, you need more line items per ticket. Oh, really? So when we're doing this, it's just like, it's any excuse you can find other than you might be short staffed or what about the other times where you're, you don't have three deep, you have just one customer and an event, two advisors not doing anything at the moment. You really can slow it down. You're just not. It's the culture that we create inside the, the those service drives that that really get me the most. So uh, I like it. The best manner in which to manage a service advisor is by. So I'm calling it the three T's: time, tools, and training. So I already touched on the time one, right? Like they need the time to be able to to work with the customer, get to know them. The tools, things like Form and YMCA and Waltz and Sharing X's, those are incredibly valuable, simple tools that are like easy to put into place, but they don't work unless we're continuously training it with the team. Like staying on top of, hey, are you doing form? Let's role play it. Let's try it out. Let's look at the form you got. Hey, before you call this customer with that YMCA suggestion, you know, why mandatory convenient accessory, before you make that call, let's let's just practice what the call is going to go like. How are you going to explain it? If we do that consistently, then it becomes second nature. And that advisor is doing a better job advising. Well, I think most of our clients have, have uh, they can relate to the form and, or the format in the YMCA. Tell us a little bit about Waltz and sharing X's. Probably many of them have not heard of those before. Yeah. So Waltz is the approach of um, really in the most basic term, it's taking the walk around and standardizing it. And I like calling it the Waltz because it's quite literally a choreographed thing. There are very specific experiences that have to happen. I want the customer not just to go around the unit with the advisor looking at different things. I want there to be particular experiences that the customer has along the way. Ones that build confidence with the customer, ones that prove that we take it seriously and really inspect. There should be a a section in every check-in process where we train the customer something a little bit more than they didn't know. So like those are, the waltz is about knowing all the steps you got to hit and then choreographing it so it feels natural with the customer. Sharing X's uh, is another one that's based around how do we manage the you know potential buyer's remorse and confirmation bias and all these weird feelings that happen when somebody pays a big bill. Sharing X's is taking the idea of like, how do we make somebody feel a certain way when they pay for something? I say uh, there's three things they have to cover. They have to, an advisor has to start by saying, let's go see, They're bringing a customer out to the unit, Good call. So complimenting a customer on the decision that they made in the purchase. You know, you may have suggested it, but they made the decision. And then lastly, you're gonna love. And I think that's the most important one is 
setting up an expectation for them so that they're looking for that feeling that you describe. Like when you put new tires on a motorcycle, you walk out to and say, hey, let's go see those new tires. Man, good call on getting the front at the same time as the rear. And you're going to love the way this thing handles. It's going to be like it's on rails when you take off. And now when they're riding away, they're not thinking that bill was expensive or this scratch wasn't here. They go, it does feel different than it does before. So we can control the narrative a little bit more and make it feel good. Yeah, ultimately, if that's done right, we end up with higher line items on that repair order, which I'm staring at metric, Harley, and marine composites. And I want to, oh, I want you to tell me if these numbers sound acceptable to you as far as P&A on RO, per RO, every RO, right? You got the metric guys coming in at 185, 185 bucks. You got Harley coming in at 322. And our marine dealers selling these $200,000 toys, they're coming in all the way at $323. So in the spirit of upselling, utilizing some of these tools, what, what do you think those numbers should be, Max? I mean, they should be four times as much as that. I mean, to be honest, what we're doing right now, if you're having a unit come in for a quarter million bucks and you're selling $300 of parts in it, you're just clerking. You're being the service writer. And if that's all you're set up to be and you don't have the time, the tools and the training to do it properly, then that's all we're ever going to get. But if you would treat these guys like true advisors and we give them that, like all the tools they need and all the, the empower them, then that's how we get the number up. But right now, dude, to be a service advisor is, is like running around with a chicken with your head cut off. It is so hard to pull that off. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second, because I think we would all agree that it is a, it's a very stressful position. People love their boats or their motorcycles or their ATVs like their children, right? And so when my child is sick, I'm coming to take it in. I'm in a very sensitive, vulnerable position emotionally, and I bring it to you guys. Does that make it really the hardest position in the dealership? You feel it's the case? Yeah, no doubt that is the hardest role in the dealership. I mean, you know, I had a, my own dealership for 17 years. I covered all of the positions throughout that. And the most thankless, difficult, like most juggling um, is absolutely in that one role of advisor. If you think about the other areas, like in a sales department, you mentioned it, it's you're, you're buying dreams and toys and the customers are on the ether and they're all excited because their life's going to be better because they bought this toy. And then the toy breaks. And then they realize, holy crap, it's really expensive to fix this toy. And there's recalls and it's not going to be fixed for three weeks. I can't even get it in the shop for two more weeks. Like when that stuff starts happening, the customer comes in stressed. And then we look back at how are we staffing these departments right now? That's the first face somebody sees is a service advisor who's overwhelmed with work. There's not enough of them there. There's three people deep. So that advisor's pulling their hair out, incredibly stressed. They have a customer come in stressed out and we just spiral into this awful experience for everybody. So yeah, it's a tough role. You think a lot of that has to do with just not having enough of them or it's the training? I mean, obviously it's both, but it, if you could throw another body at it, is that going to alleviate the, a lot of the problem? You know, I, I don't know if it's necessarily going to alleviate the problem staffing I, like i've i see stores that are staffed properly like they have the right amount of let's say advisors to technicians the amount of labor or repair orders coming through it's actually just making the job of an advisor one thing like making it easier for them to understand what they need to accomplish throughout the day like advisors end up a lot like service managers too as like this catch-all like you're the service advisor, but also you're kind of like the building super, like mm, sometimes you have to fix this printer or like go clean that toilet over there. And we end up putting all these jobs on the advisor 
and you know just service in general that sometimes don't fit into the reason why they're there and the reason how or the way they bring money into the dealership. And so when we dilute their role like that, then we do a big disservice. So I think making sure that the advisor is a specialized role and we we give them the chance to focus on the customers who are in the service department right now, the, the repair orders that are currently open. If we just give them that time, it'd be great. You know, you, you brought up a scenario or a couple scenarios, Max, of, you know, front of the house sales, we're, we're building value, they're on the ether, and then they come in and their thing is broken. I always like to tell the dealers as well, what about when it's not broken? What about when you have the the gal or the guy that comes in and wants to put on five, six, seven, ten thousand dollars worth of stuff on their thing, and you're not nearly meeting their enthusiasm? Like it's an opportunity for you to be doing cartwheels with them and be like, oh my God, this is gonna be so cool. It's gonna look so cool, it's gonna sound so cool. And they're just like, Yeah, cool. I'll uh, we'll just get it on and we'll, you know, we'll give you buzz when it when it's done. Yeah. Ad- advisors aren't really like trained to be emotional. We're trained to be logical and it, it doesn't translate because we know that customer who bought that unit did it on emotion, not on logic. So yeah, I think it's it's something we all need to learn a lot better as advisors. Match the energy, um, right? Well, you, you mentioned that you know, you know you got logic, you got people that are logical versus emotional and, and, and who are we looking to hire? So I, I got to ask you, what traits should a manager look for when they're going to hire a service advisor? What, what are we looking for? First off, they should be personable. You can't train that. That is something that somebody needs on their own. So personable, they need to be able to make friends. They need to care about the experience of the customer. And they have to be like what I mentioned earlier, like a project manager. They need to be able to manage a couple moving parts and kind of coordinate all that at the same time. And you know, um, I had great success hiring in hotel desk agents. You know, they they have, you know, connections with customers. They know how to make small talk and like lighten a room. They have great corporate training already in many cases. Um, and it's easier for me to train a desk agent to write a repair order, but to teach a grumpy technician how to take care of a customer who, you know, they just came in and, and said that, uh, there's a vibration in their handlebars when they let go of the handlebars at speed, like that stuff ends up not being handled well by somebody who knows too much about the role or to be honest, has been tainted by what we've shown as the experience in service for the last couple decades. It sounds like you need to be very specific on the position you're hiring for then. Like, am I getting that right? Yeah. All the I mean, roles? You, you guys said it before too. Like, If everybody's a salesperson, like we, we should be hiring salespeople into that role and then just give them the tools, show them how to use the technology in a way that that person, no matter how skilled they are, can be the best advisor possible. They can learn how to schedule because it's an easy process. They can learn how to, to identify a job that, uh, that should be added because we have job templates that are well-organized. Like, There's a lot of structure and process that needs to be put in place. But if you have that, man, you can, you can just put salespeople back there and kill it in the service department. And kind of going in that direction, you know, higher personality because you can't train that. A, a, a lot of dealers that I talk to, they're still looking for people that are technically sound. Is, is, can you talk about that really quick as a follow-up? Yeah. So being technically sound is, I mean, it's like what I said with the hotel desk agents. It's, it's great to have some of that, uh, but it's also a problem to have too much of it. 
to have someone um, diagnose on the drive is definitely a problem. But if I can train an advisor to provide a couple insights that that customer may not have thought of before, like one thing I, I often use as like a training tool in that waltz is tire age, right? How to read the age of a tire. That's something I can teach to somebody one time. And that new advisor who just learned it this morning and dealt with their first customer this afternoon, when they tell them this story about how to read tires, like they are suddenly the expert. So like the expert piece, like needing to be technically sound, isn't that necessary if the process includes ways to show how proficient we are, if the process includes good notes to and from the technician, like it's just better process is going to help a lot of this. We've been talking about a lot of positions. You kind of threw out there the coordinator position. We've obviously been talking about the advisor position. You've got porters that are included. Talk to us about what happens on the drive and who does what in that service drive, Max. So I'm a big fan, as I kind of talked about a little bit earlier, of like really specializing a role, like being able to boil down somebody's role into a single sentence. I call that their purpose. It's kind of like the elevator pitch for a business. If you can't explain what your business does in 15 seconds, then it's too complicated. So for the advisor, the purpose, this one sentence, is to manage the repair order for, uh, for the customer whose unit is currently in the service department. The repair order is here. You're managing that experience, that repair order the entire way through, which gives us the ability to define a coordinator as communicating with the customers whose units are not currently in service. And a line in the sand like that to say like, okay... The coordinator doesn't work on the service drive. They don't check a customer in when they come in for service. What they do is they answer the phone when it rings because that customer is calling in for an appointment. That's the, the, the coordinator takes care of that. And the great part is, you know, we always need talent in that role of the advisor. And to bring in a role like a coordinator means that we're killing two birds with one stone. Not only are you freeing up the advisor where they don't have those 24 phone calls a day coming in to distract them, but also we've got somebody learning what it takes to be an advisor and we're testing them out to see if they're going to be able to pull it off. And now we're kind of growing talent. Yeah. All right. So I got a coordinator and then, and then who's doing the other pieces on the drive? They're not on the drive in that sense. So I got porters, I got ride, advisors. Who else is out there? Or does oh. I mean, the, the four that I always cover are coordinators, advisors, expediters, and technicians. So really, the, the, the front and back of house in service, we usually say there's, I usually say that there's, there's that coordinator role, which is assisting the advisor, kind of lightening the load for the advisor. There's the advisor who's working directly with that customer. And dispatch kind of falls into that in some cases. It's kind of a dealer by dealer, store by store strategy where are the advisors capable of dispatch with your strategy or your process capable of dispatch. But then when you go on the backside of service, you're talking about the expediter and the technician. And you look at like the expediter role is, is almost a go between, between the advisor and the tech, but they're making sure their primary goal is making sure the tech is never wasting a minute of their day. The tech has the parts whenever they need them. The tech has the unit whenever they need it. They're going on quality control checks, like test rides. I mean, it is, it's you know, the expediter is the equivalent of the coordinator to the advisor. So the coordinator to advisor, expediter to technician, we're growing talent in front and back of service. And in the meantime, not only are we kind of filling the wings, but we are immediately assisting the, the players that really need the help right now. And we can pay for those roles right out of the gate. You know, based off of the, what you're saying here, and, and this is just, again, I'm, I'm, letting this go in my mind is 
there's the, there rarely should be a time when the service advisor has to necessarily talk to the technician. Very few and far between that. You should have people in between there. Uh, again, for any of you that have never heard Max speak about this stuff or taken any of his of his classes, this is the new kind of thinking that is laid down. So interesting stuff to get your head wrapped around. Let me hit you with this one. So the best thing that we can do for a service advisor is... I think the best thing we could do is just make their day less stressful. Take some of the crazy stuff off their plate, organize their day a little bit more, make it easier to be an advisor because a calm advisor uh, creates a confident customer. And that allows for more trust, for more connection, um, for more labor sales and you know more hours on every RO. So I think the less stressed out an advisor is, the, the better your service department's gonna grow. You just mentioned pay plans just right before Tony brought that piece up. So I want to circle back on the pay plan piece. Um, we obviously have seen different pay plans through the years on service advisors, particularly is what I'm asking about. We know it's a sales role, so should it be a full commission deal? We know that some dealerships have them selling parts and accessories and pro shop gear so that the service labor goes to the house. We've seen some split 50-50. What, what are your thoughts on a pay plan here for the advisor? My idea, you know, it's, I might be a little biased because it it's what I used as well, but I think base plus commission for everything they sell is how an advisor should be paid. And that could be done as what's sold by an individual advisor or as a team of advisors, if you've got groups, kind of up to how that team works together. But if we're able to kind of make their check be half based on, uh, you know, a consistent income hourly or salary or whatever, and then half of it based on commission, that gives us this great wiggle room to say, when it's slow or when a job isn't super profitable, it's okay. We're still covering the bills. But if we got half of that pay coming from everything that you sell, you're going you're gonna to be able to put into your paycheck as well. You're going to get a percentage of. Then it allows, kind of empowers the advisor to be able to grow on their own. Like you create your own destiny at this point. Now, that does come with uh, you know, a caveat. You have to be careful. Because an advisor wields a lot of power, right? Like they're the person, if they're building that trust, they can lose the trust really fast if they start suggesting or selling things that the customer doesn't want or doesn't need. But to be honest, we're in a we're in the business of selling grown-up toys. So there's always stuff the customer needs and wants. It just means the advisor needs to be able to find it out, get to know the customer, and they need to care about that customer and care about like getting them the best experience because getting the best experience always comes with them buying more stuff. They want to buy more cool stuff. You know, they do. I I just always go back to Tony. I go back to your comment about matching my enthusiasm. I get so excited to accessorize these toys and I always want someone to match me and and be, you know, whether it's a service advisor, I walk onto the parts showroom and we're finding a new helmet or a new tank bag or whatever happens to be. So uh, I like that. How can a service advisor organize themselves better or is it just simply out of their hands? I mean, you know, it, it does have to start at the top. You do have to have, in my opinion, a progressive service manager. But how does a service advisor keep themselves organized? This is a tough one because I think for a lot of advisors, they're slammed. They've got too many repair orders. There's too many ancillary jobs like fixing the printer or going to go do this tow while you're at it or run to Home Depot for it. It's like there's too many things that just uh, distract from their actual purpose. But 
for those advisors who don't need that help, for the ones that work in a dealership that's properly staffed, that it's set up correctly, I think what those advisors need is a little bit of quiet time. And by quiet time, I mean like an hour a day or one day a week where they sit in an office that does not face a customer. They don't have to answer the phone. They don't have to deal with anybody walking through the doors. And in that time, they focus on their list of customers. They send all their update texts or emails or phone calls. They check if the parts and the warranty statuses are taken care of. They're just checking on their project. They clear out their inbox. There's a, a busy inbox. There's also just a busy head in general. So they get their head on straight so that they can go back to their desk and be the absolute best version of themselves. I think that little like solace can help a ton of advisors be better versions. One of the things I, I hit on a presentation that I did early on that we discussed early in the year on the podcast was I said, you have to get everybody, salespeople, parts people, service advisors, everybody off of the floor. How do you expect that that you're going to tell your your salespeople, go, go throw out 25 text messages and go make X amount of videos or go do PK on a helmet, any of that stuff. How do you expect them to do that when there's customers? Because the door unlocks and it's like, boom, it's an avalanche that comes through the door. But I, I love that concept. And it's something that I'm tell, I've been telling people that for a while, which is get them into the sales manager's office to, to go get on to connect and start making your text messages. And you know, a little Netflix binging and order a pizza, check your email inbox, <laughs> a little bit more, you know, what, just a little what bit are of, we preaching here? Yeah, Safe spaces so, for no, I, I, I service like advisors inside the dealership. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Ooh, I got to calm down a little here. I do agree. It's funny because that's it's immediately where my head went. It's like, oh, you need to be coddled, little service rider, and have a safe space <laughs> over here. But now, as you laid it out, I am also one of the biggest advocates for telling general managers when you run your guys ragged, ding to dong, they are a lesser version of themselves when they come in every day. So, do you want you want a guy there six or seven days a week at at seventy percent of his ability and happiness level? Or do you want them there 100% given the customer experience, in which case give them some downtime? So all kidding aside, I support that notion. But Max, let's talk a little bit about during COVID, because it's funny, we had to all uh, spin around our management academies, which were in motion when COVID happened, our live in-person management academies. And we had to go virtual with all of them. We got to stay virtual uh, as a little hybrid model as we were kind of coming out of COVID. But we have figured out, I have figured out, that the sales managers and GMs, that live setting seems to work very well for them. Now, before you tell me it's just because I'm bad at virtual training, um, <laughs> I want you to frame out how you've had so much success with not only the Service Management Academy staying virtual, never going live, but this new this Service Advisors Academy has seen huge success over the last year. So tell us a little bit about that and kind of how, how that transition happened for you. Yeah. The, so the, the first piece of this is just, you know, when we started going virtual, we took what was three meetings, three individual meetings, you know, spread out by a couple of months that were three days each and everybody to fly into Denver. We took that and we broke it apart into two hour meetings once a week. And what I saw in service was everything that I taught was adopted a lot better. We saw much bigger success and bigger growth in service departments in the time we went virtual. And I think a lot of it came from when a service manager goes to 
sit in a room for three days, which they never sit for that long. You're running around like crazy in that role. When they sit for three days to be lectured at, there's only so much they can take in. They're, they're drinking out of a fire hose. So to be able to break it into little chunks was that first piece. So they can digest an idea and then try it for a week and then digest a new idea and try it for a week. That was a really, really big one. But also, you know, I recognized afterwards to pull a service manager out of a dealership a dealership that obviously needs work. Otherwise they wouldn't be in an academy. Like they wouldn't be like trying to grow. If I pull them out of a store for three days, then the the store just starts kind of falling apart. It's obviously not running on its own right now. So if it starts falling apart, then they go back to a store that's in worse shape than it was originally. So I think that idea of being able to to create the management, the service management academies virtually just it delivered the the same content in a more digestible format. And then kind of taking that on into the next idea, having a virtual service management academy did mean that we could we could meet with you know 12, 15 managers all at once. So we could make a really large impact. We could help a lot of stores at the same time because there's only so many of us. So I had been kind of kicking around this, this issue of. I can help managers at scale, but I'm having a hard time helping the advisors at scale. Like, you know, there's two or three advisors for every one manager. So there's a lot of people and I can only see, you know, two to three advisors. We're working with one store at a time and some of our individual in-person or even virtual training. So I wanted to make sure we saw more advisors. We could help more advisors. And that wasn't just limited to GC clients either. I wanted to be able to say anybody who's a service advisor, like, how can we get you engaged? So kind of a, I wanted to say, let's make a crash course, just a little refresher or an update to say, this is what it takes to be a super badass advisor, kind of a pep talk, you know, let's get you built up, ready to go. Okay. Hit the, hit the floor. And so what we did was that we put together an academy. It's called the service advisor update. It happened in January and it's discussing the tools that exist in a service department, how they get rolled out, how they can be customized to your particular store. It was about 800 bucks for the entire dealership to sign up. So that meant that anyone at the dealership can attend for that same price. And uh, when that dealer logs in to, to the one live online session a week for four consecutive weeks, at the end of that one hour session, there was this group discussion. And the group discussion wasn't just meant to, you know, it wasn't meant for the virtual meeting to answer, not for everybody who's logged in. It was meant for the group like all of the people from the dealership, that team who sat through that one hour together to now like, hey, let's think about what we just talked to talked about. Let's think about how that could apply here. What other experiences have we had like that? What do we used to do? How could we use the tool right? And um, it was, uh, I think the training worked well. It, it sat well with people. The questions worked well because people were emailing me afterwards of just like how valuable the group discussion became afterwards and how much you know insight came from every single person in the room. And so it was such a huge success that we want to do it again. So January was that first round. And now we are actually right now we're launching this. We haven't told anybody until right now. We are going to be launching yet another service advisor update training. It's going to be just like the last one, four weeks in a row. It'll be an hour each week. Anybody can attend, 800 bucks per store. It's all going to be virtually on there. It's it's going to be really, really, really cool. It's going to start on, what was that, July 20th? 
Uh, so if you want to sign up for it, if uh, uh, so July 20th, 2023, I don't know when you're listening to this, but if you want to sign up for it, we're going to have a URL with more info and the sign up info at, uh, I think we're doing it at garagecomposites.com slash service update. Service, service update. update. How many people did you have sign up for that first round in January? So the initial sign up, when, when I was discussing this with you guys, I was like, hey, okay, I think it'll be successful if we get four dealers. And <laughs> by the time it actually started, we had 75 dealers sign up. We had about 300 people log in because, you know, multiple people from Man. one store could log in. It was huge. It was absolutely incredible. And that was just the small amount of marketing. So that was a, such a need. So now we got to capture, you know, if there's a store that hadn't had this yet, man, sign up for it. It's so worth it. And if, if you sat through the last one, but you hired new people since January, you want to get them up to the same level that your other team is like, that's why we're doing it this way. So we're going to see if it works twice a year. I love that caveat on the backside of it, which is spend the next hour with your team. Now that we've gone through the train, now you just sit here with your team in your dealership and talk about how do we implement that? What works, what doesn't all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, buddy, you've had good success with that virtual room. I don't know how. Uh, maybe you could teach all the teachers around the world to get people excited for their next Zoom call. But yeah, <laughs> you've got it for sure. I don't know if I've done that, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, Max, this is this has been a, another great information rich. Um, as I as I said, it's moments with Max Service <laughs> Advisor Edition. This has been a great moment with Max. Hopefully, you guys were listening. And again, we say this quite a bit to our owners out there in our 20 clubs which is most of you did not come from service and most of you do not have a passion for service so max is passionate about service hopefully you learned something and hopefully you were taking some notes or hit replay and do it all over again so we can't thank you enough maximus yeah Yeah, thanks for having me guys it's really fun i love talking about service so yeah, we'll uh, we'll make sure we have another moment with Max coming up. We just got to come up with a topic for the next edition. So be ready. Who doesn't like moments with Max, right? Max, I like I, I, I like I like moments with Max. Of course, yeah, so. of course you do. Yes, of course he anyone's does. met you knows you like moments with Max. Yeah. <laughs> so now I'm weird. Uh, now this is getting weird. Yeah. So for Max uh, Matern and Sam Dancer, I'm Tony Gonzalez. This has been GarageCast. We hope you guys have a fantastic Tuesday. We'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks.